Hello, all you reinventors out there. This is Leslie Jane Seymour, and I'm the founder of this podcast and also uh, the founder of Cubby Club. And I have to tell you, I don't get many stories like this, but I love them. I love when mothers and daughters do things for each other. And this is a wonderful story of Kristen Carbone, who runs something called Brilliantly.co. And her mom died of breast cancer. She was in the, Kristen was in the arts area. She went to Skidmore and she um, studied art history and she also um, worked at the museum up there. And her mom died very suddenly of breast cancer. It had spread everywhere. And because of Kristen's um, uh, concern, she ended up having a preventative mastectomy herself and found out that when she did that, she ended up constantly cold all the time. And so she's created a product that you put inside your bra, a tech product that speaks to an iPhone or a phone app. Um, and where you can control the heat and will help keep your core warm. Of course, um, this is great for people who've had mastectomies, but it also has far reaching um, implications for people like me who are always cold, um, which is why I moves out because I can't stand being cold all the time. It drove me crazy. Um, anyway, it's a wonderful story about taking a terrible thing that happened to you and turning it around into something that's really meaningful to other women. And um, I love what she talks about and how you try to find the right kinds of investors. Again, when you're doing a women's project, as we all know, there's a lot of issues out there with investors who don't get it. And um, she basically says, just walk away from those people. And so it's a, it's a wonderful, uplifting story. And I hope that you will listen to Kristen Carbone and what she did for the legacy of her mom. Here she is. Hi, Kristen. How are you? I'm great. Thanks. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I love when daughters pick up for their moms and do great things for their moms. And so will our listeners. It's really a wonderful, it's a terrible story, but it's a lovely story on how you dealt with it. So what I would love to do is talk a little bit about you. I see you went to Skidmore. My son went to Skidmore. So Skid. Um, I yeah. went there as a student for art history, and then I went back and worked at the museum um, oh. for years. It's a great museum. That's fantastic. Yes. So talk a little bit about what you started out doing, and then talk a little bit about your mom, and then how you came up with your business. Yeah, absolutely. So as I mentioned, I was an art history major. I really always wanted to work in an art museum um, and was extremely lucky in that I grew up in Buffalo, New York, and they have a really wonderful museum called the Albright Knox. I interned there while I was in college and got offered a job when I graduated and spent a couple years there. I actually left the museum because my mom's breast cancer came back and had metastasized mm -hmm. and decided I wanted to move. Uh, my parents were living right outside Baltimore at the time. So I moved down to that area to be closer to her which I um, was definitely a good decision. She passed really rather quickly, actually, um, after it started metastasizing. And then I moved again and continued working in art museums, um, then did some arts-based leadership training, which was really fun, design thinking. And during that time, got married, had two children, got divorced, had... Uh, <laughs> okay. had um, a breast cancer scare myself. Mm. Um, 
And, you know, my mom got diagnosed the first time in her forties and she died before she turned 50. And once I had a scare, we found a lump. I think it was three months after I turned 30. I just decided I, I, I didn't want my life to be guided by waiting to get cancer and constantly undergoing screening, which was part of the protocol given my hereditary risk and decided to have a preventative mastectomy and reconstruction um, in 2013. So, you know, I, my whole life kind of, my mom died in 05. Um, So many things happened in the like six, seven years after her death. And I kind of kept plugging away in the arts and I really still have such a deep love of all things creative and of art and art history, but I just felt motivated to do something that made a bigger impact and stumbled into starting brilliantly because I was trying to solve a problem that I was experiencing um, post mastectomy. And, and here I am now four years into that. Talk to me about what the problem was and talk to me about how you went about figuring out what to do about it. Yeah. I think when I decided to have the preventative mastectomy, it was 2012 and it was before Angelina Jolie. Um, and I don't know how much your listeners know about breast cancer. I'm assuming a lot of them no, they know a lot. something. Yeah. yeah. They know um, a lot. She, um, had an article in the times in 2013 about her, um, hereditary risk and decision to have the preventative mastectomy. And that really brought it into the popular consciousness. But before Mm -hmm. that, people weren't talking about it. And it was a really difficult thing to say, I'm going to amputate my healthy breasts. So I hopefully don't have this happen to me in the future. And consequently, I, I didn't know anyone else who had made that decision and went through it. Thankfully healed really well, had a lot of support from my friends and family, in addition to some confusion and some people sort of trying to be devil's advocate, but I felt really committed to the choice. And it was maybe six months after my reconstruction, when some of my muscle pain subsided and I stopped having nerve um, pain. And, you know, like I, I started to settle into my body and really think like, okay, well, this is what it feels like to live in this body. I was cold all the time. And so I'd had this whole journey of sensations through mastectomy, tissue expanders, reconstruction, and was just kind of confused actually about why I was cold. And I never asked my doctors about it. I really felt like I had made this choice so I didn't have to get breast cancer and that I just had to live with the outcome. And I, I, people were like, you did this great thing for yourself. And even though, yes, I did. And I felt really lucky that I had the opportunity to make the choice. It made me disempowered, if that's a word from saying like, I'm having body image issues and I feel cold and I'm having things that I want to talk about and I don't know where to go. And the cold issue just, it really changed what I was wearing. If I would play outside with my kids in the winter, if I would go in the ocean, it was a constant and distracting cold. I used to sit at my desk with a hot water bottle under my shirt and not everybody has a job where they can do that. (laughs) And I started to have jobs where I couldn't do that and was really hungry for some kind of solution that wasn't a giant Carhartt coat with a battery the size of a brick in it that heated up the back. So it wasn't until the spring of 2017 that a good friend of mine who does special effects for movies was like, I bet we could make you something to wear. And I said exactly that, you know, I want to wear whatever I want to wear on any given day. And I also 
don't want to make a bra, making a bra is really complicated. And I like to wear a different one every day. Can we try to make something that fits into any bra? And we did. It was um, a really interesting project for two non-engineers to undertake, but it was hooked up to a drill battery. So it was like a huge yellow DeWalt drill battery. And there was no way I could discreetly wear it. And that's really when I realized if I was going to try to make something for myself, I needed to understand if this was something other people needed. And I spent the summer of 2017 talking to hundreds of women. And I didn't want to say, hey, are you cold? Because I'm going to make something you can buy. I started asking in Facebook groups and people on influence or influencers on Instagram if they would talk to me about their experience in general. Like, what did they expect in their survivorship? What was unexpected? Um, what things were they still looking for two, five, 10 years out from having surgery and treatment that they couldn't find? And really quickly found out that like 75% of women who have implant reconstruction have this issue, but also heard all of these things. Like they thought women thought they'd never feel beautiful again, or they had really limited strength and mobility even years after surgery. Um, the financial implications of getting cancer. Um, many people were struggling with how to talk to their kids about hereditary risk. And I thought, I can't just make this product. I need to start helping to address a lot of these needs that, that are unaddressed. And I think that I'm part of a major tide change in women's health that I've seen over the last four years where women really are being given permission to say what their experience is, ask for better products and services and content to help them deal with it. So I'm, I feel really proud and lucky to be part of that, um, of this moment. And we did just finally launch the product, which is now called Brilliantly Warm over the summer in June. And it's located at brilliantly.co. Is that yeah. where we look for it? Yes, that's right. And explain what it is um, and uh, explain how it works. Yeah. So, you know, I think a lot of women who undergo this experience, it's very public. Many people lose their hair. They need a lot of help, friends and family to drive them to and from treatment, helping with kids, whatever it is, like everybody kind of knows what's happening. And I really wanted everything that we do to be sort of discreet. And so how that manifested in the product is that it's a really thin wearable device that fits into any bra. And so there's a circle patch. There's two, if you buy a set that sits in the cup of your bra and it's fabric, it's two pieces of fabric. And between them is a thermally conductive material. And that sits directly against your breast mound against your implant and is held in place by your bra. So you don't need a special bra with a pocket, although it could go into a pocket. If you like, you don't need to have anything special. And then there's a um, small kind of oblong hard piece of plastic that has the battery and Bluetooth, and then it's controlled by an app. So if you're someone who needs the product, you put it in when you're getting dressed in the morning. And then when you get to work, if you're on the subway, if you're going to the grocery store, if you're just out in the world and you're cold, you can turn it on using your phone. So you don't have to stick your hand in your shirt or go to the bathroom to turn it on or stick your hand in your bra. And, and also it, once it's working, once you connect it to the app and turn it on, you can leave your phone. So if you wanted to put it on to go for a walk on a chilly winter day and unplug, you could leave your phone home and go out in the world and take a walk with it on and be cozy and warm. Um, during our research with people who were having this problem, we heard a lot of really crazy DIY stories, like people putting those hot hand glove warmers into their bra 
which um, I think we all know get like really hot and then it creates more garbage. They're actually an unsafe temperature. There have been documented cases of women who've been burned so badly that they actually burn through their skin and their implant and have to have surgery. So a lot of these kind of DIY home things that people were trying to do, even those things that you microwave that sometimes we like around the back of our neck get too hot. So we've done a lot of research and development work on making sure that this is safe for durational wear. Also because women in the breast cancer space have pretty limited sensation. So you're not going to know that it would, that something's getting too hot until it's really burning you. So we wanted to make sure it was discreet and that it was safe. And there's three different settings in the app that it that you can choose depending on how warm and toasty you want to be and how long you want the battery to last. And um, it lasts anywhere from between three hours to about six and a half, seven hours. And do you find that that placement is what warms you? Because I've always had the, I've always been cold, you know, up until menopause, I froze all the time. All my extremities froze. I guess I have poor circulation or whatever. Um, and my doctor finally told me it's not, it, I had to keep my core warm because that was where it was coming from. It wasn't, my hands were freezing, but, um, it really wasn't from my hands that it was right right there. Yeah. I love that your doctor knew that, you know, there's actually, um, research and studies that have mapped where on the human body, you have more nerves that perceive temperature and exactly what your doctor said, it's your core. And that makes total sense, right? Like you have to keep your core warm to survive. We've evolved quickly. So like you could lose a finger and still be alive, but if your core is really cold and hypothermia sets in very quickly. So your body is always working to keep your core and your organs and your heart warm. And, and when the blood flow, when you are cold, it's working even harder to keep your core warm. And that's when the rest of you feels cold. So I also, like my feet were always freezing. My hands were always freezing. The tip of my nose was always bright red and so cold. And I think when you have something warming on your chest, it creates an all over temperature change sensation. Like you feel cozy. It's, it's a relief and it's not hot. So I think what mm -hmm. happens with a lot of things like, especially those microwave things that have some humidity and moisture to them. Oh yeah. I use those on my feet and my neck and my, and my stomach in the winter time up North. Yeah. And they're awesome. But what can happen is if it's too moist, then when you take it off, your skin is a little damp and you get even more chilled. Mm. So the idea is that we want this sort of subtle durational heat and the way that the technology works is that it cycles through warming and cooling. So it keeps your nerves stimulated and you're not, when you have it on, you don't sit there and think like, oh, it's warming, oh, it turned off. Oh, it's warming, oh, it turned off. It's a really subtle cycle through that, which helps the battery life. And it also keeps your nerves stimulated. So they're constantly like, oh, I'm warming up. Oh, I'm warming up, oh, I'm warming up. And it really does help with um, giving the rest of your body comfort as well. So talk a little bit about how did your art background prepare you for this or didn't it? <laughs> and, what, yeah. and for being an entrepreneur as well. Yeah, that's a really great question. You know, I joke a lot about there's not been a single moment where I've been asked to give like an, a slide comparison lecture since I started brilliantly, which is what I really love doing is talking about art. And but I do think the actual the sensibility of being an artist and working in the arts has absolutely helped me in this entrepreneurial journey. 
I, the first thing I did when I was like, okay, I've talked to all of these women and there are so many people who need this and all of these other things as well. And how, I don't know how to do this. I made a list of everything that I was bad at and the people who I knew who were good at those things and invited them over for what became the first meeting of an advisory board. And I realized that I'm so collaborative. I've every project that I've ever worked on in a museum has involved dozens of artists. You know, there's, and there's so many different departments within a museum. Everything I did was always collaborative. I was never working on my own. And I brought that sensibility into Brilliantly. So there's so many, well, I'm the only full-time team member right now. There's so many advisors and there's lots of people that I brought up brought on in various ways to help um, with their expertise, to help me strategize. Some people actually like roll up their sleeves and get their hands dirty and help me do a lot of the really hard work that has happened over the last four years. But I think generally artists and creative people are a little bit more nimble minded. You know, they move through iterations. They like critique. Um, they don't take it terribly personally when someone is like, well, this is good, but this part is really bad and could use improvement because that's what being educated as an artist means. So I think it's definitely helped me, although it certainly wasn't um, an asset when I was trying to um, write a business plan, for example. So some parts of it have been awesome and other parts um, it's really taught me where the gaps in my knowledge were. I think I've learned more in the last four years than any other time in my life. And what about, have you learned, are you gonna expand? What you do, I mean, I, I would say that there is something there also, you could probably expand very easily it, for people who just have poor circulation. It's a, it's a huge problem. I mean, if, when you're constantly cold and constantly uncomfortable and no one really, you know, they give you those hand, the hand hot hand thing. Yeah, and that's you know, not enough. And what about your feet? Your feet, you know, like the only choice you have is the little heater thing or a hot, you got to go back to a hot water bottle. Yeah, you know, it's a really good point. And the answer is a resounding yes. A quarter of the people who bought Brilliantly Warm during our pre-sale campaign had nothing to do with breast cancer. And right now I'm trying to figure out um, with the help of a handful of advisors, how to reach people in a much larger market like the women who you're talking about, because even during our user testing, a lot of my friends who have no experience with breast cancer were like, I want to try it. I sit in an office building that's freezing cold all day. And so we did quite a bit of testing with people who are cold, either for like a chronic medical condition, like hypothyroidism or a circulation problem, like Raynaud's, or they were just cold specifically like in their office or watching their kids play a sport outside in the spring in New England, it really just ran the gamut of the kinds of needs people had for it. And even with the women who are using it now, my phone number is in my email signature. And so I get a lot of texts from people. And this one woman said, I used, I've been using it. And this week I got my period and I had it in my yoga pants for my cramps and it's awesome. So I think we absolutely have the opportunity to expand far outside of the breast cancer space. And not only as the form factor that we are now where it fits into a bra, but something that maybe went on your abdomen for menstrual cramps or your lower back or the back of your neck. There's so many different ways that we use topical warming, either therapeutically or just for comfort. Um, and I'm really excited about that. I think there's a lot of women who sit at their desk with a space heater and a pashmina and a cup of tea 
And when you're that cold, you're not doing your best work and you're not present. And if we can help with that, I would feel really good about that too. And you know why they're cold, you know, that offices keep it at the temperature temperature, for men in a suit. (laughs) Yeah. They're, you know, and even, even if we were wearing, you know, like not if we were dressed in the same way that a man was dressed, which often doesn't happen, right? Like we're not typically like in a button down shirt and a blazer and pants, like right. our outfit choices sometimes are, are just less layers and their metabolic rate is 30% higher than right. ours on average. So right. even if the, the clothing, the, the gender problems with clothing in the workplace were worked out, I think it still would be something that people needed. Right. So what have you learned about being female in the entrepreneurial space, good and bad? What have you, and and what are your instructions to friends who want to do this? Um, You know, I joke a lot that I spray on a Teflon coating every morning. It's really, I, working in the arts was such a gift. And I really don't know that I ever encountered any kind of, sexism or discrimination ever. Wow, and I, you're lucky. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I know I'm lucky. And I'm you're sure people have said passing comments or little things that happened here and there. But I really, I was shocked when I first went out and started trying to fundraise. My slogan was like, there's no HR department in fundraising. Men said whatever they wanted to me. And it's a really difficult power dynamic to be someone who is young, who Mm. isn't capitalized, who has an idea that they're passionate about Mm. asking someone who is older, um, more successful, depending on how you measure success matrix metrics, um, and has the money. I really, it was, it was astonishing actually. And what it drove me to do was to focus more on helping flip that power and wealth structure. So I courted almost exclusively female investors. I do have a number of male investors who are wonderful, but I also have women on my cap table from in their 20s to their 90s. My advisory board is almost exclusively women. I really, um, I'm on a number of networking organizations, even some groups that are exclusively dedicated to helping women get board seats because I really, I want to help change what it looks like to be a woman running a business, a woman starting a business, a woman fundraising for her business. So um, I would say I probably spend 25% of my personal time talking to other female founders and trying to help them um, only talk to the right kind of investors or be part of networking groups where you can, you know, just even have a place to safely share a story that happened because like every community, it's small investors know each other yeah. and if you, you you know you have to be really careful about what you yes. say. I would say you know to anybody who's thinking about starting their own business or um especially if it's a startup that needs to be fundraised that you find a group of peer mentors and set up weekly accountability calls so you have a space to vent and a way to outlet and I listened to a lot of Kesha and ate a lot of french fries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's tough. And if you're older, it's really tough. Um, yeah. We've heard the stories of, you know, oh, this is your little hobby. Um, why don't you just hand it over to us and we'll make it to a real business? Um, oh, yeah. A- Go ahead. 
No, I was going to, I got interviewed yesterday and the woman who was interviewing it called it my project. project. And I was like, no, this is a business. (laughs) (laughs) A a project is like, I'm also, you know, sewing a dress for my daughter. That's a project. Right. Ridiculous. Um, Anything else that you would tell people? I mean, how did you figure out if you didn't do tech yourself? Because a lot of women have ideas that might be tech oriented, but they're not the tech people themselves. How did you go about finding somebody to create your prototype and all of that? Yeah, I think um, being a non-technical founder is difficult and it takes more money Mm. and more time if you're not the person who can build it. And I learned that the hard way. Um, I would say shamelessly ask your network and your friends and your family and your colleagues um, for intros and tell them what you're doing because you never know who you already know. Um, I found my engineers, I've used two different groups of engineers and a third for our software development. So I've had to outsource all of the um, engineering and industrial design and it's expensive, but also um, finding the right fit is hard. You have to talk to a lot of people and learn about what you're actually asking for. I don't, I didn't really know how to properly interview. Right, right. In, or to until, speak to them, right. Yeah. So I think if you can find a friend or a colleague who can help you sort of understand exactly what it is that you're trying to make and what kind of person you need to help you figure it out, that is hugely important. So, and that sort of is my general advice is like, you don't have to do it alone. Even if you want to start the business and have it be your business, lots of people probably want to help and support you. And don't forget that you can ask people for help. Um, but did you crowdfund at all? Um, during COVID, we did a crowdfunding campaign that was really more about, um, it was a very small campaign and it was that you could send like we it for $10, for example, we would send someone a postcard, like thanking them for their hard work or encouraging them if they were in treatment. Cause so many people were going um, into these situations alone. So I we see. did an I fund women campaign that was, it was called brilliantly thankful. And it was about um, doing sort of like shout outs to different people in your life for different reasons. Um, doing a tribute post to a friend or a loved one who had had cancer, um, that sort of thing. But um, crowdfunding for for things for women is difficult, especially in the era of Amazon. You know, when we buy something, we want it yesterday. Um, And not really knowing the full product development cycle. I didn't feel great about trying to fundraise via crowdfunding because depending on how R&D went, it could take one year or it could take three years. And so that's something we might do in the future for some product extensions. But I think, um, you know, the path that I went worked for me for lots of reasons. And if there's, you know, I'm, I'm absolutely willing to talk to anybody in your community. Of course, I hope you think of me as a resource. Like if, if someone reaches out and says, Hey, I'm thinking about starting a business. I did really exhaustive research into crowdfunding and would be happy to, to speak to someone about that. If that was a path they were considering. So how do people find you other than on your site? Is there, do they, I see they can, well, they can follow the company on Instagram, but um, are you available um, in any way directly? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I love hearing from people. My email is Kristen at brilliantly.co. And we also, there's another, there's a 
general email that's hello at brilliantly.co. So either one of those. Um, I have an intern who monitors the hello account, but anytime it's like a, a legit question, I, I get sent it. So that's a great way to reach me too. Um, and the same with Instagram. I try to monitor the DMs there. Um, right. We love people following along. We're um, launching some really cool and exciting things this fall. So um, would really love to have more people following along and sharing their stories. And the more I talk to women, the more I understand how to, how to meet people's needs. One last question. Was there any place or is there any place again, for people who are listening, who have a product idea that needs engineering and all that? Is it literally, there's no um, clearinghouse place to go. There's no groups to go to, you kind of just have to do it word of mouth to you find somebody who does what you're interested in. Well, is there I, any more info on that? Yeah, absolutely. There's a ton of accelerator programs and depending on where you live geographically, um, if you happen to be in an area like New York or Boston or San Francisco, sometimes there are places where you can go and they'll give you a little bit of funding or access to the kinds of tools that you would need to even try to like make some kind of proof of concept design yourself with a little bit of guidance. It depends uh -huh. on the kind of product that you want. Right. And there's a lot of people who go through programs. Um, one that I did that I really enjoyed was called day one and it's run by a guy named Andrew Hutton and you can start that. It's really inexpensive. It's all virtual. And you can just say, I have an idea oh, and they'll help you understand like, What's the roadmap? How do you build a fundraising deck? How do you find the right vendors? Like there's a lot of programs out there to help people who have the idea. Um, but it's a matter, it, it is sort of difficult to find what the right fit is for you, depending on like what kind of product you want to make and who the audience for that product is. Okay. That's great. Anything that I didn't ask you about that um, you think is important to pass along in terms of someone trying to reinvent um, along this line? Yeah, you know, I would say um, I, as it relates to like being a woman trying to start this and, and I'm a single mom, although I sort of hate that phrase because I have a really wonderful co-parent who I love and work well with, but the questions that I would get asked, like, which is more important, your kids or your business? Oh my God, I think, like, they're really, still asking that? They oh. are still asking that. And I think what I've oh, realized Lord. is that... Um, women are really good generally at multitasking. And I think that moms, there's nobody like a mom who can That's work right. within a budget with limited time and with a really multifaceted project. And I would say, you know, play to your strengths. When someone asks you a shitty question like that, I'm sorry. If no, we say all kinds of naughty okay, words. Great. <laughs> me, me too. I try to be good about it when I'm getting recorded. No, um, it's fine. <laughs> um, but when someone asks you something that's really off-putting, that's meant to frazzle you, that's meant to make you feel less than, that's meant to sort of almost attack your womanhood, right. leverage it and, and make it something positive. Like, and then don't let them invest in your company. Money is yeah. seductive. Yeah. Don't, if someone treats you like crap, yeah. walk away. You can finish and be polite and gracious and say, you know what? I think being a mom is the thing that makes me most well-suited for starting this business because X and, but then walk away because there yeah. are lots of wonderful, respectful advisors, investors, groups, programs, collaborators, and, and, and don't take it personally. That is their problem and not yours. 
Yeah. Well, that's a wonderful place to end. Kristen, thank you so much for your time and thank you for doing this. And um, I think, you know, heating and cooling are such a big, huge issue for women as they age. Yes. And so maybe you'll go in the reverse for women going through menopause. No one's quite figured that out yet is how to cool us off either. So it's, it goes. No, and there, there are people working on that. So um, once they get going, I'll be sure to share them with you too, because I'm, I'm hopeful you know, this, this project has taken me so long that I actually am starting to have hot flashes. So <laughs> I'm going to be needing both. You go back and forth. You'll have an awesome yeah. one that works right. both ways. Right. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. So thank you all for listening to our podcast. I hope that if you enjoy this, you will listen to the hundred and, oh, I think we're at 150 something now, um, postings. We have reinventors who come from every area, from every background. We don't just talk about career. We talk about reinventing your life, your health, your marriage, everything. We think that it's all possible. And if you would like to learn how to reinvent more, or it might be that you just want to reinvent your hair or your weight or your exercise profile, we can help with all of that. We are really the reinvention experts. Come on over to Covey Club, see what we're doing. We have a lot of content for you, um, a lot of startup kits. I also have a free download, which is my little list of 31 items that will get you started right away because one of the most difficult things about being a reinventor is just getting started. Believe it or not, that's the hardest part. When you take step one, you're going to feel much better. So mosey on over, download that. You can find it in the navigation bar, read, and hopefully you'll come join us. We have a wonderful group of women who will make space for you and hold you and hold you so you can learn, grow, and become who you're meant to be next. And that's what we do. Hope to see you soon and happy reinventing.